Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and happy new year. Timothy Revel here, New Scientist's deputy U.S. editor. Today we've got something a little bit different for you. It's a reissue of a podcast we ran a couple of years ago, but on a completely separate feed. So many of you have not heard it before. It's called Escape Pod, and the idea of the podcast was just to discuss interesting, delightful stuff from the world of science. We did that because it was the middle of the pandemic and we needed a bit of an escape, but there's still plenty of life stressors to escape from today too. So we think you'll enjoy hearing this now for either the first time or once more. This episode is all gathered under the theme of understanding. We've got the self-awareness of dolphins and whales, the impossible abilities of gymnasts and ballerinas, and a game with more moves than there are atoms in the universe. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, I'm going to kick us off with a story about a whale. Because, you know, who doesn't love dolphins and whales? Let's have a soundtrack, please, magical Ollie producer. Our starting point is the Farallon Islands. Uh, They're off the coast of Northern California. A few years ago, there was an incident there where a whale got tangled up in some crab lines used by some of the the suppliers to the seafood industry of San Francisco. And uh, a big 15-metre female humpback whale got tangled up in these crab lines and she couldn't surface properly because the weight of the crab pots was making it hard for her to get her blowhole over the water. So, you know, she'd been struggling and the, the, the ropes were cutting into the... Oh, gosh, Ruben, I thought this was supposed to be a skate podcast. Sounds traumatic. <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> oh, no, OK, it's getting there. I'm just building up. Uh, so some scuba divers, some rescue divers went in to get her and they spent five hours cutting the ropes. And uh, one of the uh, divers was called James Mosquito. And uh, he reported afterwards what happened. He says, when I was cutting the line going through the mouth, the whale's eye was there winking at me, watching me. And he said, it was an epic moment of my life. And the team said that there's, there was this weird vibration coming from the whale as she watched them cutting her free. And then when she was freed, this is the thing, she didn't just swim away. She, she swam around in circles and then she approached each member of the rescue team and gently nuzzled them with her head. Oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Mosquito said, it felt to me like it was thanking us knowing it was free and that we'd helped it. So, uh, you know, I've just never forgotten that account. Oh, I've it just sounds got, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I've just got this vivid image of a of a diver working by the 
giant eye of a whale and the, the eye watching him as he's doing it. It turns out humpbacks are sometimes more friendly than other species of whales. Either of you had any sort of weird encounters like that with a, I don't know, a, n- not necessarily a marine animal, but, um, a, a, you know, an ape or, or anything like that? The thing I remember is, do you remember we had this story of, of, I think it was maybe a year or two ago, about how horses can remember whether you were smiling or frowning the last time that you saw them? And I just, I just love this so much. And it like whenever I see a horse now, I always remember to smile because you know they're going to remember next time you see them yeah. um, what you were doing when you see them. Yeah, always smile at a horse. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's another story that um, stuck in my head. It's because it's difficult to work with. As a scientist, it's difficult to work with whales and dolphins on anything really, you know, tricky like consciousness because you know they're stuck in the water. But there was this there was this experiment where scientists gave dolphins a puzzle to solve and recorded the audio of what was happening. It turns out that when the dolphins worked together to solve the puzzle, they made more whistles and clicks and more vocalizations than they did when they were just on their own. So they were chatting about it. Yeah. They were, they were effectively chatting and, and perhaps, you know, exploring ways to solve the puzzle. Um, and look, I, I get there's so much amazing stuff about dolphins and whales. But there's another thing. There's a population of dolphins in Brazil that work with people to catch fish. Um, so the fisher people stand waist deep in the water, but the water's really muddy. Uh, and the people, you can't they can't see into it. But because dolphins have sonar, they can see into the water. So when the fish come along... The dolphins herd the fish together and then signal to the people. The dolphins slap the water with their tail or else sort of suddenly dive down. And that's the signal to cast the net. And these dolphins have different, a different kind of dialect, different whistles to those that don't do it. So there's, a, there's some kind of dialect among the dolphins that work with these people. Yeah, the dolphins give each other some sorts of names, don't they? Yeah, they, they have signature whistles that are distinct to particular dolphins. So they might go... Uh, and, <laughs> I don't um, know you spoke dolphin. Well, that's a, yeah, that was dolphin. And, uh, <laughs> uh, so what some researchers can do is you can play the signature whistle through a hydrophone, and then the dolphins whistle back. So you might do that, and then the the dolphin and that might be saying, "Hey, is is Tim over there?" And then the same whistle comes back from Tim, and which basically means, "Yeah, I'm over here." And and then they might add whistles after that, which might add historical context to that name so it might be yeah it's tim who i'm the one who caught that fantastic octopus the other day remember <laughs> oh wow reputation names <laughs> uh yeah exactly it might be reputation status social status you know all of this is just to say you know there's a there's a scale of consciousness and a spectrum of abilities of theory of mind and self-awareness and and there's not this sharp divide between humans and, and other animals Now, Anna, let's uh, bring us back to dry land. What's your means of escape this week? Yeah, I, I thought we could talk about ballet and gymnastics. I confess, actually, I have more than a passing interest in ballet. It's probably one of the few obsessions that compete with my interest in physics and science. Well, actually, they, they don't compete at all. People, when they see ballet dancers doing all these uh, impossible-looking things with their bodies... 
people like to say they're defying physics, but they're yeah. absolutely not. <laughs> you yeah. know, it, and if, when you really think about it and you look at it, it's more like a, a really exquisite demonstration of some of the really fundamental basic principles of physics and Newtonian mechanics and momentum conservation and so on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, nothing nothing defies the laws of physics, but I guess in in headline writing, it's it's a kind of law to say gravity defying basketball <laughs> yeah. player or, or ballerina because <laughs> they do seem to hang in the air, don't they? Yes, they do. And there's little tricks like the way you open your legs a little bit more as you're coming down, so it looks like you're not actually coming down and things like that. So tell us about the balancing and the training and how how it works when they when a ballerina will start to. Uh, twirl or that's not the technical word for it is it yeah sure I mean all that teetering around on the tiptoes I guess is what uh, what looks most obviously balletic to a lot of people and obviously if you just launch yourself onto a pair of point shoes without any training it would hurt like hell because you'd be no offense intended but it'd be like a dead weight just flopping around all (laughs) over the place and have all these talks and awkward pressure points and stuff so all the training gets all the muscles tuned so that they can align and control your center of mass along the line of strongest support to your big toe (laughs) and so then you've got all your twitch muscles to hold you in balance so it looks like you're just floating and then it gets easier when you start turning obviously right so how how is that well it's they call it the gyroscopic effect it's the same thing that kicks in when you're on a bicycle it's a lot easier to balance on a bicycle when it's moving than when it's standing still Uh, and that yeah so it comes from um the angular momentum of the wheels turning or your ballet dancer turning. And the angular momentum is greater the faster you're turning. And so if you want to then topple the axis of that turn, you then have to create a torque that's strong enough to overcome that angular momentum. Whereas when they're not turning, there's there's no angular momentum to overcome. So it's quite easy to just flick a ballet dancer off a point shoe. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, when you're in the air, you've got more to deal with because when you're on the ground doing your turns, you can push off the ground and you can give yourself that extra angular momentum. You see them doing their fouetty turns in the Sugar Plum Fairy or Black Swan solos and whipping the leg round and pushing off with that releve each time. And then you get you can keep getting more angular momentum and try and keep all that in control. When you're in the air, you've got nothing to push against. It's really all in the launch. So the fouette turns, is that that's when they kick the leg out and that just keeps yeah. them going round, does it? Okay. Yeah, is whipping. So all that whipping into a frenzy has to be impeccably controlled. And of course, if you're in the air, you haven't got the ground there to, to push against it, correct yourself if something's a little bit awry. So if you're doing turns in the air, then you really need to get yourself in order and you take off. That leads us nicely onto Simone Biles. Um, so I looked, I watched her uh, legendary triple double before we uh, had right. this chat, and it's just, it's I still that incredible. Does oh. <laughs> <laughs> so go on. Um, well, like if people can't remember it, just can you just explain first what 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 is the triple double? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, even if you've seen it, especially if you haven't seen it in slow motion, you might still wonder what on earth was going on there. There's an awful lot going on. It's this extraordinary gymnastic leap where she turns, you, you need to turn twice through an axis going through the hips, like a somersault or for the less athletic of us, a roly-poly. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then three times around the axis going from head to toe, so the axis you turn in a pirouette. So it's just a double black fit with triple pirouette at the same time. Oh, just that. <laughs> just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, so Simone Biles pulled this off, the first woman to pull it off in a competition in the US Championships in August 2019. And what was special about her that she managed to be the first woman to be able to do that? I think it was a lot of determination and a lot of practice. <laughs> I think it is a, a quiet character telling to pull off something like that. But there's a, it's obvious physicity. And it, when you come down to the training, obviously you get the muscles. Again. It's really, again, conservation of momentum. So you see her when she starts, she's gearing up for it. There's a massive, powerful run up. So that's giving her a load of momentum that she can then send airborne and give her the airtime to fit in all these twists and turns. And if you watch it in slow motion, that launch, it she looks like a, I think especially with all the, the blurring of the slow-mo frames, it looks like a jet of water. Every molecule of her body is perfectly aligned in a perfect projectile trajectory. Mm. It's not, you know, she's not wasting a jewel. It's very, very efficient launch into the air. <laughs> That's what the coach said. Well done, you didn't waste a jewel there. <laughs> she landed. But, but how does she start the spinning once she's in the air, though? Well, the spinning actually starts in the launch. So she's when she's taking off, she's taking off into a sort of dive. So there is already angular momentum going around her hips, but she's in this long stretched, you know, full of force. And the angular momentum is not just proportional to the speed of the spins, but also the radius, the distance from her extremity to the axis she's spinning around. So she then tucks. And that makes that radius shorter. So you have to have the angular momentum conserved. So the spins speed up to compensate. So she can fit in more turns around that axis, around her hips. And then you see her arm whipping, a bit like you see um, the leg whipping around with those ballerinas doing their footy turns. And that sets off in motion the turns around the head-to-toe axis. And and this is, she's basically just got to then hold it all out <laughs> because there's not a lot you can do in the air to correct yourself when it's going wrong. You just want to hold your knees tight and your, your feet tight. And I think a lot of muscle memory um, just makes it all that magic come together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, couldn't resist. It just also all happens so quickly, right? It feels like when you see it in real time, it's yeah. like she kicks off and then before you've really realised what happens, she lands again. And yeah. all of that has happened. It's just amazing. It is. It's extraordinary, yeah. And just the overcoming the impulse to just protect your head when you're swimming around <laughs> yeah. upside down, because you've got to hold yourself all all neatly in in aerodynamic and you know with your central mass movement control. And then of course the landing. Otherwise, if she doesn't get that right, it might be the last jump she ever does. So at that point, you don't want to squeeze your knees together and everything. You need your knees and feet under your hips your knees going straight over your toes so it's all aligned and you want a really really deep plie to absorb all of that impact and she actually does a little bit of a hop back again on that well give that hop but it gives you a little bit more of a absorption of that massive massive momentum yeah but even then with the hop back it's it's just so it feels like such a small reaction to what has just been yeah, an explosion know, of energy and then she looks like she smiles to the audience or holds know, her hand like it's she's just done nothing yeah like she's done like you can't sit you know if i could even imagine jumping that high let alone doing all of the rest of it i feel like i would absolutely be puffing i would be sweating yeah. all over and she just a little wave and then mm-hmm. carries on and does yeah. a, a, you know 15 more amazing moves yeah yeah it's extraordinary but yeah that's how it's done i wouldn't try it at home necessarily <laughs> quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature sleep number smart beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Tim, what's your escapism this week? Uh, Go, which is a board game. Can you play Go, actually, Tim? Have you ever played it? I, I have tried. It's it's one of those that games that uh, it it seems really simple, but then a little bit like chess, you can sort of very quickly get a bit confused about what you're meant to be doing. So I've played against a computer, but I, though I've played probably dozens of games, I've never actually won one. <laughs> um, and so why is it in your escape pod this week? Okay, what I really like about Go is that it's a beautiful example of how something incredibly simple can become absurdly complicated very quickly. Go is played on a 19 by 19 board, um, just like a grid, and you place down stones according to a few very simple rules, and the aim of the game is to capture territory. But when you work out the number of possible ways that a game of Go can occur, there are more moves than there are atoms in the universe. (laughs) (laughs) yeah which just really blows my mind and in fact it's not even close like you think it's one of those oh maybe it's just a few more moves the number of possible ways that um a game can occur is 10 to the power of 170 which is a one followed by 170 zeros yeah it's a daft number isn't it yeah it's it's just you can't comprehend that number but the number of atoms in the universe is just 10 to the 80 so it's just not even close Uh, that just really really blows my mind but so one of the one of the reasons that I'm particularly interested in Go and that many people are is because of its link to artificial intelligence research. And the thing about Go, because it has so many moves, is there's no way that a computer can just solve it. There's no way for it to uh, a computer just work out all of the pop, you know the best thing to do in any given situation because you just you couldn't store that information because you'd need all the atoms in the universe many 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 times over. Has that comforted you at all, the idea that it's not uh, something that you can crunch, solve mathematically? Yeah, I think so. I think like when, you, when you're a bit confused about the universe and all of the, you know, the, what makes um, life complicated, and then you look at something as simple as Go is extraordinarily complicated, I find some comfort in that, that even the simple things are so complicated, there's no <laughs> way I can possibly worry about all of the big complicated stuff because yeah. that's even more complicated. Just have a game of Go. <laughs> Relax. Okay, so Just have a game of Go. Always smile at a horse and even, <laughs> even the simple things are complicated. These are the things I'm taking so far. Okay, yeah, carry on, Tim. Okay, so one of the things that um, has got people particularly focused on Go recently is the fact that now the world's best Go player is an artificial intelligence called AlphaGo, um, which was developed by DeepMind, which is a, a very famous London-based technology firm. And what makes it interesting is because you can't just solve Go, because you can't just work out the best thing to do in any given situation, AlphaGo had to learn to play instead 
by learning from hundreds of thousands of games through trial and error. And uh, at the end of all of the, this trial and error, even though it couldn't possibly know the best move in a situation, because that information just can't be hard-coded into it, it could make a good guess. And some people think of this as it developing a sort of intuition. And I think that's, I think that's really cool. Yeah, so it made the, there was a famous move thirty seven. It made that this is the one that people think was an intuitive, creative work of genius by the, by AlphaGo, right? Yeah, so like this sort of intuition it developed was even though it learned from a lot of human games, actually was not like human play at all. So in its famous matchup against Lisa Doll, who was a, a Go grandmaster. AlphaGo played a five-match series against Lisa Doll, and it, it won the first match, and it sort of won the first match by just not really making any mistakes, you know, in a very sort of machine-like way. But in the second game, this move 37 was a moment where it placed a stone whereby if a grandmaster did it, everyone would think the grandmaster had lost his mind or her mind because it, was, it went against, you know, thousands of years' worth of studying Go that you should not put a stone on this particular square at this particular time. But then when they went back and looked at, at, where, at what point AlphaGo had won, it was the turning point. And so it, all of the pundits now consider it to be one of the most beautiful and creative bits of gameplay in Go, done by anyone, and yet it came from uh, a machine. Unsaddled by humans' training and stuff, experiences. What's what's interesting is that um, in the first iteration of AlphaGo, it learned from human games, and then it also did lots of games against itself through trial and error. But then in later versions of AlphaGo, it decided to completely dispense with any human intuition because it seemed that actually that wasn't maybe the best thing. And it started right from the beginning, just playing against itself. And that is the version of AlphaGo we have at the moment. And that is way better than any of the preceding ones. So it's sort of, on the one hand, it's really exciting, but it's also a bit embarrassing that thousands of years worth of grandmaster play by humans that went into AlphaGo actually turned out to make it a worse Go player than if it just learnt by itself, machine on machine. You seem to be granting AIs this creative ability. I think most people will. So do you think eventually they're going to have, we'll get this artificial general intelligence, a human level intelligence in AIs? My feeling is that it's a, a long way off yet. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's, it's really... Yeah. It's not our job. <laughs> but I think, what, I think what we will see soon, and we're already starting to see, is this sort of AI that can solve or provide some sort of solution for very, very complicated problems. And like Go is an example of that. It's just not a problem that people that, you know, that gives you any practical examples. But there, there are so many situations where you have fairly simple rules that lead to something that's really complicated. Just when you look at, you know, at the building blocks of life, fundamental physics, the way atoms interact, or even the way um, weather occurs, all of that starts from very simple rules that suddenly become incredibly complicated with you know billions and billions and billions of possible outcomes and so if your ai can develop some sort of intuition involving some sort of creativity to provide solutions that humans couldn't have thought of themselves i think that would be really exciting i think that's a long way off a machine that is artificial general intelligence that is that can surpass humans on every task but on these sorts of tasks, this could just—it could completely change our understanding of a lot of parts of the universe at the moment. I think that would be amazing.
Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Anna. Uh, that's all for this week. Thanks for joining us on the first mission of the Escape Pod. We'll be back next week. Uh, do let us know what sort of things you'd like us to feature, and we'll do our best to oblige. We're on Twitter, at New Scientist Pod. And just before you go, there's a special offer. You can get a subscription to New Scientist for 12 weeks for half price at the moment. Uh, go to newscientist.com slash escape12 to get your special discount bargain. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.